0: All time in Port Moresby, the Kumuls way too good today. They beat the Cook Islands 46 points to ten. We'll take the
1: final tackle of the game, and that beats
0: and Wigan can celebrate it's a, grand final in a sixth grand final
1: with right to left, Thurston special to finish off. In Townsville, Mal's side, well under Mal Meninga, they remain unbeaten in Australia. They're now eleven from eleven in the reign of Meninga. Full time. Australia thirty-eight Samoa.
0: Welcome to another episode of Rugby League Therapy. Um, as always, we are brought to you by the lovely people at everythingrugbyleague.com. dot um, com. has been helping uh, up coming journalists for a number of years now. and um, I myself have obviously been heavily involved in the the website over the years and can say that um, if there's anything that they specialize in, um, it's international rugby league. So right now is um, their peak season in terms of um, content. Uh, so jump over to everythingrugbyleague.com and um, and give it a view. Um, personally, I'm very excited to have uh, a guest on today, Will Evans from This Warrior's Life. Um, this Warrior's Life has been a podcast that I've listened to for a number of years now um, from a distance, and um, in addition to the podcast, which he's most famous for, he's um, also a very gifted um, writer as well. So, um, Will, where can everyone check out your content? <laughs>
1: Thanks for that glowing introduction, Keith. Uh, Great to be here on this fledgling podcast, uh, which is going great guns, by the way, off to a flying start, mate. Uh, You can catch any of my Warriors-related stuff on thiswarriorslife.com. I've obviously got the podcast and a fair bit of written content as well. Um, Also doing a bit with Ministry of Sport, an Australian site that you can um, catch a bit of um, general sports uh, features on as well. And, um, yeah, there's a few books and stuff floating around out there by me. But, um, yeah, I think it's enough about me, mate. I'm just happy to be here and uh, on the verge of a, another Kiwis um, season of international footy.
0: Yeah, I, I remember looking at the draw for this, and um, there's a feeling that this, these tournaments have been slapped together um, a little bit. Um, and obviously that's due to the collective bargaining agreement taking way, way too long, uh, which prevented – um, any agreement around international rugby league representation and player payments, etc. Um, the good thing about this tournament is that it's going to be held pretty much every year. That's not a World Cup year um, for the foreseeable future. Um, but the bad part is with it only being announced sort of four or five weeks ago, um, it hasn't given international rugby league fans enough warning time to to travel to games, etc. So um, it, there's that feeling of, of those sort of testing the waters with this tournament, with the big hope that it'll be. Um, you know, much bigger next year and and beyond. Um, uh, One thing that that I'm glad with the draw uh, is that New Zealand don't play Australia in week two of the tournament after not playing week one at all. Um, So Samoa are the only team that's played week one and week two in terms of Pacific Cup. Is that something that you're, I guess, grateful to see as a Kiwis fan, Will, that we don't have to take on uh, Australia well, I say we. I'm a warrior. It's I'm so used to talking like that But, but New Zealand don't have to take on um, Australia with no uh, warm up game. Have you thought about that?
1: Yeah, I actually hadn't thought about that, but it's a great point. Usually, uh, New Zealanders coming in straight off, um, you know, with no preparation in their first matches against Australia when it's uh, you know other than a World Cup. Uh, so, this is not that Samoa will be a, a pushover by any stretch. Um, you know, if they don't turn up the Kiwis, they'll get their pants pulled down. But it is an ideal opportunity to uh, tune things up, especially for the players that haven't played for some time um, in the NRL if their teams are out of the finals and so forth. Um, yeah, it just, just gives a. a with a few new players in there, a chance to build some combinations ahead of what will be a blockbuster against Australia and hopefully for the Kiwis, um, a rematch against them in the Hamilton final.
0: Yeah, I think that... I don't think I'm being realistic when I say that New Zealand, uh, I guess, blew their chance at that World Cup last year. I think that they should have won that World Cup. Um, Do you reckon those expectations and and the line or the statement that New Zealand really should have won the World Cup last year is too harsh on them? you think... Australia were always sort of the favourite, or how do you see that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was a missed opportunity just because they did get so close in that semi. But based on their quarterfinal uh, performance, where they just about got knocked over by Fiji again, um, I thought they probably overachieved in that semi final. There was just something about that Kiwis campaign, they never really got going. I don't think they were particularly impressive in the pool stage. Um, and, yeah, it just they never seemed to get out of sort of second gear until that semi where I thought they did very well to push Australia all the way, um, probably could have won that game. Uh, again, I, I really, I never really got over the fact that um, because of the international ranking system, which had us, had us first and Australia fourth, we ended up on the same side of the draw when obviously the, the two best teams in the world should have been on opposite sides of the draw and, you know, um on a, a final collision course rather than the semi but um yeah i don't i don't know just for me it uh, just never gathered enough momentum and i think they're probably
0: lucky to to get as close to australia as they did yeah it's a good point that you make and i think that um not to mention the rival code um dare i say rugby union here but they seem to have the same issue with their world cup whereas if you'd base your draw purely on rankings um, you're often having some of the really big matchups uh, in knockout phases of the tournament when it's almost like a mini tournament final because everyone knows that they're the best teams. So with the Union World Cup, we saw South Africa take on France and beat them by one point and we saw New Zealand take on Ireland in, in a fantastic game say winning 28-24. So those four teams were easily... They're the four teams that could could have won the World Cup in my mind. And now you've got the other side of the draw where you get sort of Argentinos going well, don't get me wrong, but they're not the quality of of France who are knocked out or, or Ireland who are world number one. Um, so without manipulating the draw, like the Rugby League World Cup has done in basically every World Cup prior to this one, uh, in recent times, you're gonna have um, you're gonna have things like this when Australia just haven't played much rugby league for the five years coming into it. So didn't actually gain any ranking points. Um, so it is a downside. I remember 2008 and maybe 2013 as well. They basically put Australia, or they did put Australia, New Zealand, and England all in the one uh, group. And then it's usually Papua New Guinea that has to go with them. And group that's the group of death because the focus is so heavily on on the commercial side of things and making make money that by putting all the big guns in the one group, Um, You ensure that there's some big games to garner interest early on in the tournament. Um, And then three of the four for that group went through to the quarterfinals anyway, whereas one of the four and some of the other groups of some of the lesser quality teams, at least sort of speaking for on-field talent there, um, only went through. There's a real manipulated draw. Do you think that... A pure draw like we've seen at the World Cup last year in terms of having New Zealand take on Australia in a semi-final due to it being based around world rankings is a better system or do you reckon they should go back to what they were, artificially manipulating to create big games early on that weren't knockout games?
1: Yeah, and no, I think the the way that they've got it is, is better now for the integrity of the tournament. You know, there was, you know, the 2000 World Cup, obviously one of the great occasions for New Zealand Rugby League, but going back a few weeks you know the the way the pools were sorted out it was uh it it didn't it gave it a bit of a ramshackle feel and uh since then they've obviously gone the different route although usually pooling australia and england uh together um yeah i think you know having it the way they did uh last year was was uh much more authentic but again i think with a full international schedule which we're finally starting to get again we'll most likely, see you know, Australia and New Zealand rank one and two and be on opposite sides of the draw. Um, it's just the way that it worked out that, uh, you know, obviously England got a an armchair right through the to the semis, which they couldn't capitalize on. Obviously, uh, Samoa had that fantastic run to the final. Uh, but again, you know, were Samoa the second best team in the world cup or in the world? Certainly not. Um, yeah, I, I just think uh, a full international schedule uh, leading up to the next World Cup will give us a, a bit of draw and a bit of tournament overall.
0: Yeah, and that seems like the perfect segue to go through um, what actually is the international schedule as we know it. Um, so for the first time, and I've been following International Rugby League for oh, maybe 20, 25 years now or something like that, back when it was sort of... You know, you're watching games that are lucky to be streamed. That that was a real luxury of of South Africa versus, you know, Nigeria or something like that in Port Jeffstrom. And um, I can see now that uh, finally uh, the IRL has a long-term international calendar. So the only sort of pertinent game that hasn't been um, released on here is the worst-kept rumour that Samoa will tour England next year. Um, So for those that don't know, Tonga's touring England with the first game uh, of three being next week. Um, And whilst Tonga and England are playing each other uh, in that series, you've got the Pacific Cup involving Samoa, Australia, and New Zealand. And you've got the Pacific Bowl, which is um, held entirely in Port Moresby. And that's Fiji, Cook Islands, and Papua New Guinea. Um, Now, the structure is actually based around rankings um, so a team like Papua New Guinea, who I very much expect to quite easily take out the Pacific Bowl, has the opportunity to rise in the world rankings and then qualify for the Pacific Cup and take on teams like Australia and New Zealand um, or even sort of Tonga, Samoa, who, wherever they sort of join. Um, but with Tonga coming back uh, next year into the Pacific Cup or the Pacific Bowl and likely Samoa going over to tour England, um, you then have a, a quite a different look to the Pacific uh, tournament or Pacific Championship, as they're calling it here. Twenty twenty six will be a World Cup year um, as well, uh, so no Pacific Championships or, or team touring um, England. Uh, I forget, to, forgot to mention. Twenty twenty five will be the first Ashes uh, tournament in a long, long time. Well, when was the last time? Do you remember Ashes tours? Are you that old?
1: I certainly am. I grew up on that stuff. Absolutely loved it. Uh, The last Ashes series was one of the best. 2003, three absolute thrillers with uh, Darren Lockyer's injury hit Kangaroos winning 3-0. But this will be the first um, Australia-hosted Ashes series, I believe, since 1992. So fantastic to see that back on the
0: the international docket. Um, Yeah, really excited for that. Yeah, nice, nice stat there. Actually, I didn't even know that. I knew it had been a long time. I didn't know exactly how long. That's uh, eons ago. I think I was uh, five years old. Uh, uh, yeah.
1: Well, so they, um, they obviously after two thousand and three, sort of uh, t- uh, focused on that sort of tri-nations and later four-nations model in between World Cups. Which, yeah, obviously you know gets more more countries involved. But there is something that if they can sort of renew that. Um, that Ashes feel and and um, the prestige and, and the steam around it um, be great for international rugby league. Um, you know, some of the great battles of Australia versus Great Britain in the past, and hopefully they can revive it to that sort of level.
0: Yeah. So that's all happening in 2025 when the England band and women uh, tour Australia, uh, 2026, as I mentioned, is the world cup, the rugby league world cup that's going to be held somewhere in the Southern hemisphere It's yet to be announced. Uh, that'll be the last time that the men's women's and wheelchair world cup is all in the at the same time uh in the same place um uh, in 2027 we have new zealand touring england uh in 2028 we have the kangaroos touring england and a women's world cup uh 2029 nothing announced yet in 2030 will be the next incarnation of the men's world cup now I don't know where that – no one knows where that 2030 World Cup is going to be, but most people are hoping it's back in the Northern Hemisphere somewhere. Um, hopefully, France have gotten their shit together, quite frankly, to be able to put in a viable bid um, and then sort of get another shot at hosting a World Cup after the pretty devastating news uh, that, that pulled the pin on the 2025 World Cup. Um, but let's just go back to last weekend's action in the Pacific Bowl and the Pacific Cup. Uh, so we had the kangaroos very, very dominant over Toa Samoa. Uh, Will, do you think that there's any surprise behind that scoreline? Do you think it's flattering to Samoa, or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I certainly had pretty grim fears for Samoa after they conceded four tries in the first fifteen minutes. That scoreline really could have blown out. Get um, maybe straighter took the foot off the pedal, but uh, you know credit to Samoa to for stemming the flow and they score uh, conceded. Two tries in the second half, um, and one was at the very end of the game. Um, so the game lost a bit of bit of sting, I felt as well. But um, yeah, Australia cruised really 38-12, The final score uh, certainly played within themselves after after blowing some away in that first fifteen minutes. Um, but yeah, probably about what I would have predicted. Uh, for this game, looking at the lineups, and you know, obviously Australia, despite a few players being unavailable, very, very strong, and just some are obviously lacking in a few key areas. Is is the pattern with um, some of these Pacific nations just not having that kind of top tier quality in uh, the spine positions? Um, you know, players playing out of positions. We saw with Stephen Crichton and, and Jerome Lowe obviously being unavailable. Uh, one of the few marquee sort of halves uh, going around for any of of the uh, tier two nations so yeah I, you know i don't think it was a disastrous result for some but probably reflected the gap uh between the two sides
0: yeah no fair call and i definitely agree with that i think this australian side whilst usually going into every tournament they play really maybe not with last year's world cup um heavy uh favorites at least on paper uh, i think this tournament in particular it's um i said it a couple of times now, it's pretty scary, the squad that they've assembled here, uh, particularly when you consider some major outs like Jerome Luai for teams like Samoa and, you know, the Saifidi boys not representing Fiji, uh, etc. Um, So I think that ironically with this game, my thoughts were that the platform was really laid by Payne House and Tina Farsasunwala Awe, two players that are touted to potentially switch to Samoa, Um you know, they may or may not, but um, if that were to happen, it'd certainly be before the next World Cup in 2026. Um, Nelson and Solomon being the third one, so I think. Um, have Have you got any standout players on the Samoan side of things? Yeah,
1: look, obviously, uh, Sawa so Falonga was uh, outstanding on on debut real live wire. I was still uh, just the way he plays. I was wondering if um, you know perhaps he was better suited to be in the halves uh, with Stephen Crichton, who was a lot more experienced at fullback than. Five eight maybe, but um, yeah, an eye-catching debut on a well beaten side. Uh, he was on an obvious talking point uh, for Samoa. Um, yeah, uh, probably the only one that, that really grabbed the ball by the horns in that um in that performance. I mean, I wouldn't say anyone played particularly poorly. Um, but yeah, no, no real m- massive standouts. I didn't feel in that Samoa team, and obviously, um, just yeah, lacked a bit of. Uh, Experience, direction, and, and quality, in, in the half Dejan obviously a, a good footballer, but uh, wearing the number seven against Australia um, is a bit of a tough ask in a in a team that you know doesn't have a lot of stability and and experience around uh, around him in the spine was um, always going to be a tough ask for the uh, for the Canterbury junior there.
0: I think he's actually a genuine Victorian junior. Did did I dream that? Or have you heard the same thing? Uh sure.
1: So, uh far longer. Um yeah, I'm not sure yeah. actually. Um, would be a bit of a coup for the storm. Obviously not a, a hell of a lot of uh, genuine Victorian juniors, but yeah, and an and obvious uh big off season talking point of, of how Craig Bellamy fits this uh sudden suddenly hot property into um into a seventeen is certainly can uh can um breed a fullback down there
0: yeah I, I could be wrong here so apologies for anyone listening if I am but in my mind he's the fifth genuine Victorian to debut for the Melbourne Storm um, I'm not sure but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident about that actually um, anyway look let's move to the second game uh, that was on the weekend and that was from Papua New Guinea uh, where we had the PNG Kumuls, very, very dominant over the Cook Islands I 2 46-10. That game was really never in doubt. Uh, Papua New Guinea ran away with that one. Any surprises there for you, Will, or was it sort of what you expected?
1: Yeah, probably would have hoped Cook Islands are a bit more competitive. Obviously, uh, tough ass going up to to Port Moresby. Uh, fairly um, tough place for anyone to go and play and, and play to your potential, especially a, a side that... You know, to again, lacking in some key areas. They did have a smattering of really quality players. You guys went over it uh, quite extensively last week of uh, the players within our and Super League experience. There's a few ex-Kiwis in there and um, and that sort of thing and really good up-and-coming players like Kyle Edo. Um, but, yeah, just outclassed on the day. Um, and ne- we're never really in it. Poor old uh, Tevin uh Arona at halfback um lasted one minute before being ko'd so you know that obviously when, when he's your halfback and you know your five eight spread takarangi um that's yeah. gonna take a fair bit out of, of how you get around the park. Um uh, poor old Tevin if I can if I can divert for a second he's he played uh this he's spent time in the Canberra Raiders and warrior systems but he's he's from over here in Canterbury in the South Island. He played in the took uh, Hornby Panthers to the grand final and um and shanked a pretty straightforward penalty goal attempt that would have sent the grand final into extra time. Um, so a heartbreaker for him. And, yeah, first time back out on the park, uh, knocked out in the first minute for Cook Island. So a uh, tough couple of months for young Tevin, uh, but lovely young guy, not in the team this week, I imagine, under concussion protocols, a bit of a nasty one. Um, but, yeah, full, full uh, fair play to the Cornwalls, who got away with a very dominant win uh, to the delight of that rabid home crowd that they perpetually get there.
0: Yeah, good good comments there. Um, I said last week uh, when, you know, in last week's podcast with Lou that the Cook Islands really should have different priorities in this tournament compared to PNG and Fiji, given the Cook Islands uh, will be one of four teams in 2024 um, who basically have a shootout for the remaining Places in the uh, Rugby League World Cup twenty twenty six. Now those four teams will come from each area of the Rugby League world. We got Middle Eastern Africa. Can't be Lebanon, so it'd probably be in my mind South Africa. Maybe Nigeria. Probably South Africa representing uh, Middle Eastern Africa region. Uh, anyone's game in France uh, in Europe, but probably France will represent Europe and the Americas. I'm not sure. Could be Jamaica. Could be USA. Could be Canada. Uh, could even be Brazil, so that one's a, anyone's game. But the point is it can only be the Cook Islands representing the Asia-Pacific region because there's no other IRL full members um, that haven't already qualified for the World Cup by making the last World Cup's quarterfinal. So Cook Islands should really be looking to blood young players that are willing to commit uh, to the 2026 cause, uh, whereas PNG and Fiji can basically just go all out in these tournaments with, um, you know, the, the goal of boosting their ranking points high enough to be able to get into the, the Pacific Cup and take on teams like Australia and New Zealand uh, next year. Um, so this week we've got a couple of games. Uh, as we touched on briefly, we've got um, the Kangaroos taking on the Kiwis. Uh, that's obviously the big one. That is on the 28th of October. So 28th. Yeah, uh, Saturday, the twenty eighth of October. Uh, is it no? So that's week week three. Uh, sorry, it's the Kiwis taking on Samoa. Uh, my bad. Um, have you got the Kiwis winning that one, or do you think Samoa can cause an upset?
1: Will? Uh, oh, it's certainly not beyond uh, Samoa, but I'm pretty confident in the Kiwis' ability to get the job done based on what we saw this weekend, the seventeen. Our uh, last weekend, the seventeen uh, named. By the Kiwis, um, I was a bit disappointed, to be honest, with the squad uh, named by the Kiwis before the tournament. Um, you know, a lot of guys that are, you know, uh, being generous fringe NRL players that are, you know, just just cracking um, the NRL. Kaya Kinney from the Titans, uh, Nalfahu White from the Roosters, um, you know, Leo Thompson cemented a spot at the Knights and he'll make his test debut this weekend. But if everyone's available, these are sort of guys that are probably two or three years away from from Kiwi selection. I would have thought. So, um, but the seventeen name this week still looks very strong despite all the absentees and uh, crucially, you know, Jerome Hughes, Dylan Brown, our halves from the World Cup um, at Hooker again probably fall into that category. And I'm very very happy for Farmanu Brown to make his. Uh, test debut for New Zealand. He's played for Samoa previously, including in the World Cup last year, but um, adding his name to the list of Canterbury products to, uh, that being Canterbury New Zealand uh, products to play for New Zealand uh, internationally. Um, Harvey Panthers Jr. and and his, uh, his career is an interesting one. He's obviously come back from some really uh, difficult career-threatening setbacks injury-wise. He's been to England and come back and Carved out a bit of a niche, bit of a journeyman. He's he's a played for two clubs this year and he's off back off to England next year. But yeah, real career highlight for, for New, who is a, a lovely bloke. Um, but yeah, it does reflect, I guess, uh that sort of depth in the number nine position. You'd say he's probably fourth string hooker in New Zealand with Brandon Smith, uh, Jeremy Marshall King, and Cody Nakarima not available. But uh, good luck to to New Brown this weekend. He's, he's still a quality footballer. Um, and, yeah, again, a, a step up. I'm sure ben, we're in the number nine for some are if he was available for them instead. So uh, great to see him debuting along with Matt Timakor and uh, Griffin Nema, West Coaster from down the South Island too, which is great, and uh, Leo Thompson. Another real talking point I'd like to get your thoughts on. Um, there. Keith is uh, Chancellor Klodstadt named at fullback and Joey Manu at centre, reversing the positions they were at the World Cup. So, uh, interesting call from Maguire there. I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's a better balance for the team. Um, but, yeah, any thoughts on that one? Any surprise?
0: Uh, surprise, yes. Um, I don't really have any strong feelings either way. Um, I love Chance. He's, he's one of my favourite players because he's all heart and effort. Um, I think on balance probably a stronger approach but they need to adjust their game plan to get Joey Manu some early ball otherwise not having him in the spine is going to decrease the the effect that he can have on the game and we saw that when I think it was against Lebanon in the World Cup I could be wrong uh the Kiwis were looking like a you know a team that could actually lose that game it was Joey Manu that stepped up and said you know two or three tries in a row on a platter and or score them himself, so they need to adjust their game plan uh, given that they're playing Joey in the centres because he's probably, or well, he's right up there with their best players. Um, he's the one that could really break a game open. Um, apart from that, I'm really looking forward to seeing Matt Timoko. Um, I think he's been a standout for Canberra this year and a team that's somehow scraped into the top eight uh, but looked lacklustre for basically half a year. Have you got any thoughts on Matt Tomoko?
1: Yeah, big fan of his. Um, yeah, I lo- love watching him play for the Raiders. I thought he was very unlucky not to uh, get a call-up for the World Cup last year um, and uh, stoked for him to to be picked. Could be a, a Kiwi for the better part of the next decade if, um, if he carries on this trajectory and just that kind of game-breaker. Um, obviously, we've got one on the other side with Joe Manu playing centre, but um, yeah, that's pretty fearsome a um, pair of players to uh, line up in the centres um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure Moura Talo and, and Jermaine Osako will, will benefit from having those guys inside them as well. Um, excited for James Fisher-Harris, new Kiwis captain um, in a typically strong um, front row or prop con- uh, rotation, Moses Leota, obviously the two Penrith. Premiership winners, and then, you know, still got Nelson, so Solomona and Neem and Leo Thompson coming off the bench with Joe at lock So a uh, very strong pack. It, yeah, it does look like a pretty formidable um, 17, named by Michael Maguire, the potential New South Wales coach. Um, if you did want to um, have a little chat about that at some point, because there's obviously um, a fair bit of interest you know, drummed I'm up not a those, fan. Uh, news stories. I'm
0: not a fan. I'm not of a fan. No. Well, it,
1: it fan? seems like a very, very obvious conflict of interest, given the state of um, the, you know, the current uh, player pool and how many players are are uh, eligible for both. I mean, you know, one way or the other, he's he's going to be trying to convince someone to play for. For you know, one or the other, and he potentially coaches both teams. It seems ridiculous. I mean, we haven't even seen uh, the same the same coach coach Australia in a state of origin team since the mid '80s. Infamously, Terry Fernley coached New South Wales and Australia in '85, and it blew up in uh, everyone's face. And yeah, I just can't I just can't imagine a situation where A, I, I can't imagine New South Wales Rugby League would you know, allow Maguire to, to continue. That seems ludicrous. I mean, um, and I don't know if it's in New Zealand Rugby League's best interest either. So, yeah, it's an interesting scenario. Be uh, very, very keen to see how it plays out. But, yeah, not a, not a uh, big fan of it all as much as I like Michael Maguire and um, admire what he has done during his tenure with the Kiwis, but it doesn't sit very well with me at all.
0: Well, you'd have to uh, give, the, give the choice between the two being an Australian um it choose New South Wales over over New Zealand, surely. Well, I think it's probably more lucrative uh
1: position as well that um and probably more convenient as well, given he's on the Canberra staff still and um yeah, and you know, coaching state of origin. I think he's you know, I'm he's I'm sure he's very proud of um his role with the Kiwis and taking it very seriously. I think he's done a good job and got some decent results, but after the uh, horrors of the 2017, uh, the Care's the Wii World Cup. Um, but yeah, you know, state of origin is state of origin. And as an, an Australian, there's, that's got a huge, hold a huge amount of appeal for Maguire, who does seem, you know, the, the sort of coach that could um, pull New South Wales out of their current situation.
0: Question without notice, if he does step down from the New Zealand Kiwis coaching position, who's who's your next in line? Who's your favourite to take his spot? Uh, uh, look, you know, you'd think they'd um, have to go with a
1: Kiwi if they can, and really the only candidate that sort of springs to mind is Stacey Jones, um, who I think would do a good job, and he's you know obviously got a long history as a Warriors coach, as a, a successful lower grade coach in the NYC New South Wales Cup and a lot of experience around the NRL squad, obviously that caretaker role, has a lot of respect. I would say the greatest New Zealand player of all time. Um, and I think he could you know, do a good job. He's based in New Zealand, based in Auckland. Um, that, that It's probably the standout candidate for me. I don't know if they'd go down the same route of, of uh, hiring someone that's attached to an NRL club again.
0: Yeah, that's obviously as as way, way too early yeah. for Benji Marshall, who's the only kiwi nrl coach i think at the moment
1: yeah um yeah very small pool obviously of nrl head coaches that are kiwis only handful um ever um and far too early i just think he benji has such a big job on his hands at the tigers that you know taking on this would, would not even be uh in his thoughts at the moment it's still pretty unproven he's uh you know all he's got is a wooden spoon as a, as an assistant to Tim Shane's. And, yeah, I mean, geez, that is a hell of a job ahead of him. Um, I certainly wouldn't be burdening him with uh, with a representative role as well.
0: Yeah, I can see one day him taking the reins of the Kiwis, though probably not the same time as coaching the NRL, but you can see the passion he has for the black jersey yeah. uh, and the harker. And, you know, you just see him just tingling on the TV when he talks about doing the harker. You know, the tongue's out, he just wants to get out there. And at the same time, I can see Sam Burgess coaching England one day, just the passion that he brings to that red and white jersey. Um, special mentioned, uh, there is a, another super league coach of Kiwi, uh of Kiwi nationality, I think. Uh, although I think he gave up his his the reins of Wakefield last year, Willie Poaching. Uh, so I don't think that he's in yeah, the class fair, yeah. of,
1: uh, with respect. <laughs> And uh, a brief brief Kiwis representative himself, uh, Willie Poaching, in 2005, I believe. Got called up for a a non-test match, but uh, is on the Kiwis register. And uh, a Warriors uh, 95 original as well, uh, Willie Poaching. But, yeah, it it could be an option as well.
0: Yeah, good call. All right, wrapping up this game, who have you gotten by how much?
1: Uh, I'd like to see New Zealand win by sort of 14 to 18 Points plus, um, and I think they're, they're more than capable of doing it. Um, it looks like some of named pretty much the same side, except for uh, young Tanomai Pia is uh, out, and I'm not sure who's come in for him, just from the lineup there. But um, yeah, like quality side, some are again just sort of lacking that um, experience in class uh, in the halves, yeah, and you've probably got their best player. Uh, Stephen Crichton, that bit wasted at number six, I I feel. Um, and yeah, I just think at Eden Park, New Zealand hadn't been beaten on home soil since that the disastrous World Cup in 2017. We've done pretty well against uh, Tonga, who you know, obviously tipped us up in that World Cup. We've had a couple of good wins on home soil. Uh, we've had a, a 2 series win over England. Uh, the first of those at Eden Park, beaten Australia here, and uh, the only time we've played them in the last sort of seven or eight years on home soil. So, um, yeah, I think um, the Kiwis get the job done here. Just uh, too much quality across the board.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And uh, I'm going to go New Zealand by 12, so very, very similar to your prediction. Uh, We'll just quickly jump to the second uh, game, which is on Sunday, 4 o'clock Australian Eastern time, uh, which is Fiji playing for the first time this year against the Cook Islands. Now, it's very, very hard to see the Cook Islands um, winning this one as well. Uh, although I think that they stand more of a chance of competing in this one than what they did against the, the home team, Papua New Guinea, last week. Um, standouts for this game in terms of players, really keen to see how Jerome Buller plays. Uh, the, the wing pair of Mike Asivo and, and Michaeli Ravalawa. Uh, Two granite boulders there that play a very, very similar style of football. Sunya Taruva and Wonga Blake in the centers. Halves are the weakness for me. Uh, Kurt Donahue and uh, Brendan Wakem. Front rowers, uh, Tuiko Makamika and Gordon Whippy. I don't know much about him. At hooker, we've got uh, Noah uh, Natalie Goliva. Um, And then second row, we've got Kitoni Katoga. Tane Milne uh, locks the scrum. And, ca- uh, sorry, Caleb Navale uh, is actually lock. as Tane Milne got moved to second row. Uh, standouts for the Cook Islands, uh, pullback Essen Ioka. Uh, you've mentioned Kael uh, Iro before. Stephen Masters, Brad Takarengi, Essay Masters, Davey Moala, um, Zane Tetafano, Pride Peterson, Rabadi. So there's a few names in here. Do you give the cookies a chance in this one?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not too sure, um, based on what we saw last week, and again, just what we talked about, uh, obviously Tevin Aron is, is ruled out, so we've got SM Masters, uh, sort of filling in in the number seven, and that's probably where they're gonna struggle, I mean, Brandon Wakem's no world beater, but he is a genuine half, and I think that's a big advantage for, uh, for Fiji, and yeah, then obviously you've got, a dream, a dream. Buller at fullback, um, is you know one of the, the best up and comers in the NRL, and uh, yeah, he's uh, primed for a big game. I'm I'm sure at fullback, um, a lot of firepower out wide with Ravalawa and Seva on the wings, uh, which is gonna be hard to solve if they can get them a bit of space and, and good ball, um, look a bit probably a bit weaker than we've seen uh, some. Um, Fijian packs in the past, but Tuikamakamita, a, a bit of a leader for them, um, yes, reasonably looks on paper, without knowing too much about some of uh, the non NRL players there, um, looks reasonably evenly matched in the Fords. But I think that, yeah, 1 to 7 strongly favors uh, um, Fiji there. Sunya Turava again, Dalium rookie of the year um, in the back line as well. So I, I don't know, I think think Fiji probably too strong on this one, although more favorable conditions for Cook Islands and they've had a hit out under their belt. So um they'll be hoping for a, a certainly a closer result um on, at Eden Park on Saturday.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, that last point. I was a, I was just about to say uh Fiji by 20, but then you said the you know you mentioned the fact that the Cook Islands had a hit out last week, whereas Fiji haven't so they'll be a bit rusty and, and still trying to build some cohesion. So I'm gonna go Fiji by twelve. Um What have you got for
1: this one? Yeah, I I still think they'll run away with it in the end, sort of, you know, around that 14 to 16 uh, point margin seems uh, fairly likely. But, yeah, look, see the Cook Islands make a game of
0: this one. All right. Um, Seems like a good place to wrap up. Well, I I was uh, just...
1: I was just quite keen to mention the, uh, which I don't know that you'll get the coverage of it in Australia, but it's on Sky over here. And obviously if you're at the, at Eden Park, it is a, it is a, uh, a big day of footy there. The Kiwis A uh, lineup is taking on Tonga A um, and some really exciting players, but particularly from a a Warriors fans perspective, but uh, plenty from around the NRL as well, sort of fringe or, or young players, um, among the highlights in the New Zealand, uh, the Kiwis A squad, Rocco Berry. Um, also Kalani going who made his debut late in the season. Uh, Asu Kapoa from the Tigers. Um, Jacob Laban, another young uh, Warriors prospect. Ali Laetawa, who had such a, a strong debut against Canberra before getting injured and then came back really strongly in the New South Wales Cup. A big contender for a first-grade spot. Uh, Paul Roach, another know debutant for the Warriors this year. Bailey Simonson, we've obviously seen at international level in the nines before. Uh, Tanner Stiles-Smith, a Warriors uh, teenager from down here in Canterbury in the South Island. Uh, He's a real prospect um, and that's a great great call-up for him to cap a a remarkable rise, SG ball captain to start the year and in a second-string New Zealand team to finish it. So, uh, great work for for the young Ford there, Tain uh, Toapaki, who we saw a fair bit of in first grade. Exciting product and uh, William Warbrook, the um, rugby Union sevens convert who had a cracking rookie season for the Storm this year. He gets a run too. So I think a good initiative. I think too from New Zealand Rugby League to sort of you know when when a lot of these guys are dual eligible for uh, Pacific Island teams to sort of give them some recognition and a meaningful uh, game of footy in the black and white jersey to sort of say you're on our radar. We you know we value what you're you're doing out there in the NRL and you know here's a, a representative call up and Hopefully see you in the full, full-fledged Kiwis one
0: day. Yeah, some great insight there. And uh, I love that this game is being held as well because it builds connection to that jersey um, at a time where, you know, New Zealand in particular would feel pressure to name um, players in their squad that aren't quite ready for the black jersey, but just to get ahead of, you know, ones that are eligible to play state of origin at the same time. I've long felt that New Zealand... And to a lesser degree, England, but mainly New Zealand, are really shafted by the current eligibility rules. Um, one of only three uh, so-called Tier 1 nations. Um, once you play for New Zealand, you you can't play State of Origin or you, because you're not eligible for Australia, that is. Um, now, we know that that's not the case with Samoa um, or, or Tonga or any other so-called Tier 2 nations. So this rule change really hurt New Zealand in terms of... Um, you know, um, players that are eligible for the Pacific Islands getting to also play State of Origin if they choose one of the islands over New Zealand. Do you think that the rule should be the same for New Zealand as it is for Samoa and Tonga or tightened up for Samoa and Tonga?
1: Yeah, one or the other for sure. I mean, it's shafted New Zealand for several years now um, and, and who can blame some players for sort of accepting that care of playing State of Origin and for uh, one of the island nations who I'm sure they're, obviously very proud to to represent and, and, you know, could have also made that decision anyway, even without the state of origin uh, factor. But it, it certainly isn't quite a level playing field. And, and you know, it's obviously it's great to see international rugby league grow and the state of origin side of things has, has helped uh, Samoa and Tonga sort of uh, grow a fair bit. We've got a couple of uh, players that play for New South Wales this year in the Samoa team or three, actually, or three or four, um, just looking at it, five, actually, origin players. So that's, you know, it's great to see for some are But it, I just think given the, the current demographic in the NRL and how much things have changed, it's not like the 80s and 90s where, you know, 95% of the NRL were eligible for state of origin and Australia only. I mean, we've got so many Kiwis that are dual eligible. I'm not certainly not suggesting you tweak the rules, keep them the same where you have to have, you know, lived in lived in Australia before you were turned thirteen or whatever it is uh, for these dual eligible players, but that would certainly open up um things for a few a few New Zealanders that are very proud of their Kiwis heritage, but also might want to play state of origin and, you know, might keep help keep a few uh guys in a black and white jersey. You know, we might have seen guys like Valentine Holmes or Kaelin Ponga play for New Zealand as well as their state. Um which, yeah, I don't know, I just think I, I never used to feel this way about players playing for New Zealand and State of Origin, but I just think things have changed so much. And, uh, you know, with mixed backgrounds and moving around when you're young and that sort of thing, that, that the time has sort of come to to perhaps consider it and uh, certainly for fairness to, uh, to
0: New Zealand Rugby League as well. Yeah, I think given the unique landscape that is International Rugby League where all the players are essentially drawn from, two competitions really, the English Super League and the and the NRL, I don't think that we can tighten the eligibility rules without allowing Australia to really hoard almost all the talent and you'd kill all the progress that's happened with, with Tonga and Samoa in particular. I think Fiji and Papua New Guinea uh, could survive because they are fielding genuine homegrown um Uh, homegrown players, um, maybe not necessarily coming through the ranks of the Kaviti Silk Tails, for example, or the PNG Hunters, although some of them are, um, but still sort of born and raised in Papua New Guinea and Fiji, whereas um, Samoa and Tonga and the Cook Islands are uh, almost solely relying on their diaspora. Um, So you'd kill that off, basically. So I'm in favour of uh, applying the same rules that you apply to Samoa and Tonga, apply it to New Zealand and England, it's not like Sam Burgess could then represent New South Wales. Um, so people think, that you know, yeah. you're going to have sort of those real, sort of real New Zealand-born, raised, never lived in Australia, plays all of a sudden playing for New South Wales and Queensland. That that won't happen. The Sean Johnsons of the world won't be eligible to turn out and play State of Order because they didn't reside in Australia prior to the age of 13. Uh, but the current situation is really only affecting New Zealand it's, it's sort of benefiting everyone else. Um, and you could argue England, as I said, but it's just not really an issue besides Victor Radley. So I think something definitely needs to change in that department because right now it's really unfair um, to the Kiwis in my mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're already sort of fighting a, a battle, I guess. It might be, you know, my allegiances lie with New Zealand. I'd certainly don't begrudge anyone playing for who they want to represent as far as uh, players switching to to Tonga or Samoa from even after representing New Zealand, but, you know, we've lost sort of the best years of of the international careers of the likes of Adam Fanua-Blake and Jason Tamalolo after they uh, started their international careers with with New Zealand. We're seeing it now. Dylan watanese Lesniak looking likely to switch to Tonga when he's um, playing the best football of his career. Um, so, you know, we're already sort of losing players through that avenue of International Rugby League and and then, you know, without the with the I was also the handicap of um, you know, players being forced to decide to play for New Zealand or represent in state of origin as well. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it has uh irked me for several years, I guess, since that's the sort of international rugby league revolution started with the twenty seventeen World Cup, it has uh it has nagged away at me that um that you know New Zealand are really the ones getting shafted.
0: Yeah, any chance of getting Reese Walsh before he went back to the Broncos and set the competition on fire, talking about when he was with the Warriors, any chance of him turning out in a Kiwis jersey uh, was prevented from happening by that rule, in my opinion. Um, because I've sceptically thought for a long time now, these players aren't choosing the kangaroos jersey, even though they'll come out and say my connections with Australia or you know I resonate with Australia. And that is true. Often that's even born in Australia, don't get me wrong, but they're not choosing the kangaroos jersey they're choosing the queensland jersey you know the new south wales jersey and every game you play in those um comes with not just thirty thousand dollars per game but it also comes with a hard to quantify uh, rise in your nrl salary as a knock-on effect because signing a state of origin player is a big thing for clubs um so they're no doubt going to inflate their, their salary by playing state of origin. And on top of that, there's still built-in bonuses in a lot of contracts that says if you do play representative football in the origin arena, you get it, you know X amount more. So I don't blame them financially, but the part that irks me is don't claim that you're choosing the Kangaroos jersey over the New Zealand jersey because you're choosing the Queensland or New South Wales jersey over the Kiwis jersey. Uh it's not like for like when comparing it. And Calen Pong approved that to me when he said that if I were to convert to rugby union, I'd turn out in an all blacks jersey. Um have yeah, you got any thoughts 100%. on that?
1: Yeah, no, I totally get that. And and you know, just the state of origin is such a juggernaut and and uh is just held on such a pedestal that I and I don't begrudge um the players for choosing origin over New Zealand or whoever. Um but yeah, um yeah, I, I certainly take your point that, that some of these players uh play up the fact that, you know, they'd rather play for for Australia. James Tamo is is probably the, the most prime example. I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was a Kiwi. Um, but the opportunity to play for New South Wales um, you know, pushed them towards the uh towards the kangaroos for sure. I mean I'm I'm Queensland born, um, but obviously grew up in in New Zealand, um, if I had any talent whatsoever and and had been had the option to choose, I mean, I was such a big Queensland origin fan when I was younger that you know I probably would have chosen to play uh, state of origin, um, even though you know I'm kiwi uh, kiwi down to the core. It's um, you know it's just the the hold that state of origin has on on uh, the hearts and minds of, of rugby league players and fans and, and everything. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think there is a bit of a, a, a time for, for change because um, it certainly favours Australia and um,
0: and disadvantages New Zealand. Yeah, and Brad Thorne, the great Brad Thorne, probably another good example. But um, that seems like a good place to end our international rugby league talk. So we're going to finish uh, up the podcast with some expansion talk. I think that the off-season is a fantastic time to be able to talk um, NRL expansion um, without sort of like the distraction of, of the current NRL season, um, you know, clouding everything. So um, I'm going to narrow this discussion down to the four teams that are viable options, i.e. they have some semblance of demand and financial backing and could happen. Um, so I want to go through the four and I want to get your pros and your cons. Um, and then... Give me a score out of 10 as to how much you want to see them be in the NRL. So let's start with Perth. What are some of the things that Perth has got going in its favor, do you think?
1: Yeah, obviously that different time zone is uh, attractive to the NRL. There seems to be a shitload of money behind uh, you know pe- uh, people willing to back it. Um, I think we've seen great support for NRL games that have gone over there. Um and I think the, the Western Reds back in the mid-90s were a bit of a victim of circumstance. Obviously, you know, a month into their debut season, the whole Super League will blow up and, and they were on hiding to nothing uh, before being a bit of a victim of the um, peace deal that formed the NRL. So, yeah, I think it is it is time for them to come back. So a bit of a Melbourne Storm type thing where there's there's not a lot of Western Australian juniors around and it would be very much uh, made up of, of imports. But... Um, just a strong, um, you know, New Zealand expat uh, population over there, and and probably I'm um, I'm assuming a lot of people from the eastern states live in Perth, and I, I just think that people would uh, get behind it. Um, I would quite like to see a, a Perth team. M- wouldn't necessarily be my first choice, but um, I could, yeah. Just uh, as a rugby league fan, it um, ticks a few boxes for me as um, as far as um, piquing my interest.
0: Yeah, for me, bet, yeah. Just to add on to it, um, I think that the juniors aren't as big of an issue as what you might think because they do actually have 4,000 registered rugby league players and that's come down since the Western Reds when they had a real boom in, in demand for kids to play it. So I think that in terms of setting up shop in a brand new rugby league area, or relative, I know they've had a team but you get what I'm where I'm going with that. I think Perth are uh, one of the stronger choices in terms of the registered rugby league player numbers there. Um, I think that the yeah, as you said, they've got the time zone thing going for them. Where you know Saturday night here in Sydney, we can watch a live nine thirty game, which is still only seven thirty in Perth, which is absolutely perfect to expand the value of the Super Saturday, uh, and that's a product that is the flagship uh, product for Fox League is Super Saturday. So imagine being able to add another game onto that um, and just have this extravaganza of, of NRL in the one day every second week or something like that. Um, I think the stadium infrastructure is is good. They have a purpose-built rectangular stadium. It's not the, it's not the best, but uh, HIF Park has a beautiful double-tier grandstand. The other grandstands are, are pretty shoddy, but apart from that, um, they have a dedicated rectangular stadium. And if the demand becomes big enough, if they play a big team like the Broncos or whatever, Optus Stadium is one of the best stadiums in Australia, so no concerns around uh, stadium infrastructure for me. And lastly, they do have state government backing, uh, so their state government met with Peter Volandis, obviously the ARLC commissioner, and said that they are prepared to back them in a lot of contract in terms around marketing, promotion, tourism, um, and even consider financially backing the team to to a certain degree. So they've got a lot going for them. Are there any downsides to Perth that you can think of?
1: Yeah. I guess the travel factor and and uh, the fact that it's not a you know rugby league cartland are, are probably the two that spring to mind. But uh, for me, they're they you know they're not they don't overshadow the uh, the positives. And another um, and this might be just you know a bit of a chip in the shoulder kind of thing, but every other major competition in Australia, including the NBL and, and the A League, and obviously the the AFL, they've, they've got teams and you know, Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales, and, and a couple of them have New Zealand teams as well. You know, New Ze- uh, the NRL is, is restricted to one team in Auckland and then just a- across the eastern and seaboard. So I think it just um, does make a bit of a statement and it is, I can imagine that side of things being a real um, feather in the cap for Peter Blandi's and the NRL just, you know, actually having a bit more of a footprint um, in another state and, and um, yeah, further across the country.
0: Yeah, I agree. The downsides for me, and I know I just touched on the, the player numbers, registered player numbers around 4,000, but the, the golf and talent and experience is, is quite large. So I think that they would need to mimic what the New Zealand Warriors currently do and invest in having SG Ball team, Howard Matts team, Jersey Flag team, and the New South Wales or Queensland Cup team. Um, otherwise, that you know, you're not, just not going to be able to compete once they finally come through to the NRL. So I think that it would need all five grades, similar to what the New Zealand Warriors have. Uh, travel, yeah, you're right. It's also uh, it's a huge disadvantage, uh, particularly when you're crossing time zone. It will create a very, very large um, away game uh, against the Warriors when they play there, and and vice versa, the Warriors traveling to Perth. That'll be one of the longest, or well, pretty much the longest road trip in. In rugby league, or will be. I remember when Manly used to move their game against the Warriors um, to Perth. I used to thought that that's pretty dodgy. That shouldn't have been allowed. Of course, they're <laughs> going to beat us. We're going to fall asleep. It's past midnight by the time you know that game finishes. So the travel's a factor, uh, but yeah. not one that can't be overcome. And I love your point where you know these are the, the downsides technically, but they're not weighted anywhere near like the upsides. Um, what score out of ten for desire to see it happen? Do you reckon you have for Perth?
1: Yeah, I think around the 7.5 to 8 mark. um, I could certainly get behind a a Perth-based team for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm going to give them a 9. I really want to see um, the credibility of the National Rugby League uh, really enhanced by having a team in Western Australia because I can't see it happening in Adelaide anytime soon. Uh, We'll move on to the next uh, viable team or realistic team, which is Brisbane Easts. Uh, so this is the the bid run by Shane Richardson that lost out to uh, Redcliffe uh, when they became the 17th team. Uh, we'll start with the upsides of Brisbane East, who I think might go under the Firehawks if they got to the NRL, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, I can't say I care for the name, but um, there is a few few positive uh, aspects to you know having a. Um, a Brisbane Tigers back team i guess a lot of the same strengths as the dolphins have got a lot of history with uh with East tigers or Brisbane tigers as they no now and um you know that sort of infrastructure and, and backing already uh already to go um you know it is uh, Brisbane obviously is a, a Mecca for rugby league um i think it, my preference would be for them to be sort of you know if they were to come in the 19th or 20th team, um, another, you know, for the four, uh, third straight expansion team to be just based in that little pocket of southeast Queensland would be a bit of a fizzer, I think, as far as, um, you know, expansion and inverted commas when, uh, you know, you're seeing the AFL at the same time going to Tasmania for the first time and their previous teams were, you know, solidifying their presence in Queensland, New South Wales that uh, a fourth team in southeast Queensland would you know that just wouldn't quite have the same impact but um yeah there's a fair bit to to like about the brisbane tigers um but but yeah i haven't thought too deeply about them um probably been more focusing on the, the further flung places but what's your what's
0: your feeling on those on the on the brisbane tigers i think it's a safe it's a safe choice it's a choice that i desperately do not want to see happen um, with respect um but i guess if we're t- talking about the the pros of this bid is that they are extremely well funded i think they've got up to 100 billion dollars in assets and liquidity as well um and uh, they're very serious about their bid i saw on linkedin that they have they're currently hiring social uh, media and marketing managers and um yeah so they're actually looking to have full-time employees despite just being a bid um, the juniors won't be an issue. They'd probably come with the strongest juniors of any of the bids, um, any of the four bids that we're talking about here. They've got a long history under the Brisbane East banner. Obviously, it's going to change to the Firehawks if they do get there, if I'm correct in the moniker um, there. And, um, yeah, I just think that they could probably, of, of any bid team, be the strongest in the short term in terms of fielding a competitive team. Um, And I guess you could argue that it'll strengthen state of origin, which, you know, if you want to, we just sort of spent, you know, 10 minutes bagging the effect of state of origin. But if you uh, are talking commercially, um, the NRL desperately needs to hold on to the revenue um, that the future state of origin competitions will, will generate. And having another Queensland team in there will ensure that Queensland are able to have more NRL players because right now they have less eligible than New Zealand do and they've got it exponentially less than New South Wales do but um, not a fan um, desire to see this happen I'm going to give it a two, how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't uh, float my boat probably around a three
0: Yeah, I was pretty gutted to hear that the 17th team was going to be from Queensland so if, if you told me a few years ago that both the 17th and the 18th team are going to be from Queensland, I'll be, you know, it's not expansion in my mind, it's you, you can argue it's expanding the size of the competition, uh, but it's not expanding the game in terms of, you know, when you think the word expansion, you think growth into new markets, etc. cetera, and it doesn't tick that whatsoever in my mind. Any further comments on on the Firehawks?
1: No, that's something we've pretty much covered, uh, what we think about that, the potential All right.
0: Uh, third, and I'm super, super keen because I can't think of anyone who is better versed to talk about the possibility of a second New Zealand side, and will isolate the city to Christchurch, which you know very, very well. Um, now, feel free to keep to the structure of the pros and cons, uh, but also feel free to, to to veer from course a little bit. Just talk about the Christchurch potential bid here.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, if, if we're talking about the pros, obviously NRL uh, have have talked publicly about wanting a, a second New Zealand team. Um, of so many players come from New Zealand, not necessarily from the South Island, although we've seen a bit of a an influx recently. We've got guys like uh, Jordan Ricky, Griffin, Name, genuine uh, Canada, uh, South Island born and bred players, um, and you know several others floating around. I think there's probably. 10 to 15, if not more, uh, running around and Harold Matts up to Jersey Fleet this year so, uh, from Canterbury. Um, so, you know, it is a bit of a, a breeding ground, I feel. Um, down here, and you know, the, the prospect of another team would just uh, see the game go through the roof in a in a bit of a rugby union stronghold area. Um, a new stadium with a roof um, being built, uh, obviously, it's probably close to the biggest uh, plus in that column and I'm sure that uh, they'd be keen to have another resident that isn't the uh, aside from the crusaders super rugby team um playing there every second weekend um, you know it's a fairly big city uh, there's a much bigger uh, rugby league um diehard fan base here than people would think um, it's a great rugby league community down here and I, I think there is a, a big appetite for it I think that they can Really um, draw in just not just being a Canterbury or Christchurch team, but a, a team that does represent the whole South Island. And, you know, obviously there's opportunity to take games to to Dunedin and even Wellington. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of pluses. I think probably the, the concern of, of, of um, is who is behind the bid and where the money's going to come from. Um, that's all a bit of an unknown. There is an a, a NRL South Island bid that is sort of. Uh, materializing, and I believe we're going to hear a bit more from them about the the specifics of uh, of what they've got in mind soon. And I'm sure they'd have uh, you, you know Canterbury Rugby League uh, particularly involved uh, to some degree. But um, yeah, all all a bit of an unknown. I think you know just the, the NRL's desire to have a second presence in New Zealand is is uh, probably their biggest advantage. It's just. Um, you know, who's, who's going to be seeing it up? It's obviously not as uh, far along as, say, the Brisbane Tigers bid or even a WA bid as far as um, how everything would eventually take shape. But, um, yeah, I mean, as someone that lives in, in Canterbury, I'd certainly be pretty excited about an RL team being based uh, in my closest city.
0: Let me ask you a question that all fans of this Warrior's life would be wondering <laughs> at this point. Would you be tempted to jump teams and make uh, this Christchurch Rugby League's life?
1: Uh, well, but, I mean, you know, it would be it'd be uh, very conflicting uh, for me personally if, um, if a team was situated here and I'll answer this by saying it, the heart, uh, wants what it wants, and I'll just let it um, organically happen. Um, <laughs> <with, with,
0: laughs> Alright, I, w- I uh, won't pin you down on
1: <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, uh, if you've listened to the the episode where I had touched on, on this Warriors life, I was actually a, a mad uh, Broncos fan from being a kid, and it took me a long, long time to, uh, to let them go um, and for the Warriors to become my number one team. And it was, again, a very it happened very organically. It wasn't a, a decision that I sat down and made. It just uh, happened in my heart, and yeah. So I uh, haven't really thought too far ahead about that. I'd, I'd love to think that I could, you know, to, uh, support both teams, and I, and you know, being a Kiwi, obviously that um, that would make that a bit easier. But yeah, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people having some um, internal um, internal turmoil over who to support if a if South Island team came into. it.
0: Mm, definitely, and we'd also have to surely see a name change uh, back to the Auckland Warriors.
1: Yeah, well, interesting to see, you know, and they're they're not really officially the New Zealand Warriors. I mean, they they are now with the with Vodafone changing to to One New Zealand, but so they've kind of got that New Zealand Warriors moniker again. But I think officially they are just kind of the Warriors. But yeah, so be interesting to see if they really played up the Auckland or you know North Island side of. Uh, of uh the club there but yeah however a derby it would be um you know instant rivalry uh, it's got a great uh, rugby league history in the south island and it'd be uh yeah I'd certainly love to see that uh recognized and in play into um into a franchise here but again I don't know if it's if the financials stack up or not um and, I, and that's probably the biggest uh, question mark over the whole bid
0: yeah i agree we haven't heard anything about a consortium behind it um i dare say if you're going to be able to compete you need to have funding uh, seed funding this is of say 30 million australian dollars um and i believe that any new team should be forced to basically create a a, whatever a bank deposit or, or whatever term i'm thinking here where it's protected, in case things go bad, of a minimum $10 million. Just like Nathan Tinkler had to do um, when he took over the Newcastle Knights, he had to book $20 million that he can't touch in the bank in case things soured. And and Rob Chu is a genius for making him do that forehanding ownership to him. I think that um, every new NRL bid should be forced to do the same thing because, you know, it's a, it's a very large unknown. Just my uh, quick thoughts on this. I fully agree, um, as I said, that the finances. Um, even though the NRL clubs are granted fifteen million dollars per year, with only um, from head office that is, uh, with te- uh, twelve million going towards salary cap, and then you've got a five and a half million dollar football department cap. So you'd have to be a, a terrible, terrible businessman to lose money as an NRL club with those kind of um, structured financial structures in place. Love the stadium infrastructure. Probably the well, definitely the best bid for a team that will get a stadium where they're the only NRL team playing. And you could argue Brisbane Firehawks have access to Suncorp Stadium, uh, but it's not really there. They're, share, they're sharing it with the Broncos and and the Dolphins. Um, so uh, Whereas the Christchurch would have a brand spanking new stadium with the roof um, and they'll be the only NRL team in there, uh, which is fantastic. I think that the other thing that is really going in their favour, it almost certainly boosts the Sky New Zealand deal. Um, I suspect, I suspect that there's a clause written into the current one. Whereas, if a second New Zealand came in, New Zealand team came in, then Sky Sports would then pay extra for the NRL rights. Um, now, I can't confirm that. I've just had a sneaking suspicion that that was written into the last one. Um, although, as I said, it's I have no proof of that. Um, I, similar to Perth, I think they need to mirror the Warriors junior structure um, and have those players coming through the ranks, um, you know, SG ball, Jersey flag, New South Wales cup, etc. Um, So the funding is important there. And I just, yeah, I just love that it gives some, um, you know, a real Pacific flavor to the NRL now. Um, if we're not going to get go to Perth and have a genuine national rugby league, we can at least have the credibility of being, you know, a Pacific competition and a proper Pacific competition. Any further thoughts on Christchurch?
1: Oh, no, look, you've, you've uh, said a mouthful there and I I'd certainly agree with everything you've said. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's from certain aspects of it, it's a, it's a slam dunk. It's just, uh, yeah, it all comes down to, uh, to his bankrolling it, I think. Um, and that's the, the big unknown at the moment, but hopefully we'll find out a, a bit more in the coming months.
0: Yeah, which seems like a great segue, uh, because New Zealand, the, the language that was coming out of, particularly Andrew Abdo, 18 months ago, two years ago, around a second New Zealand team, was the same kind of language that is now coming towards this fourth bid, which is Papua New Guinea. So prior to the Australian government, prior to the Labor government being elected here in Australia, New Zealand, it, it almost, almost said the 18th team will be from New Zealand. Uh, but now that the Australian government is very, very keen to see a Papua New Guinean team as the 18 team and literally bankroll it. Um, all talk of New Zealand seems to have ceased and been replaced. And there's rumours going around today that Papua New Guinea have been given the green light for the 18 team. And there's a sort of sub-rumour to that, which means uh, that they are strongly considering some form of a conference system. Um, so let's let's talk Papua New Guinea as our last uh, talking point. Uh, for this episode, are you are you in support of Papua New Guinea? What are the pros and cons for this one?
1: Um, it's like a, a fair bit of it is um, above my grade of knowledge of um, you know politics and and everything, but it does seem like a fair bit of it has to do with um, some geopolitical maneuvering um, and the threat of China and its, its influence in the Pacific. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's what uh, certainly some of the um, the articles initially have have indicated. And if that's the case, I mean, that doesn't sit particularly well with me. I don't know if enough of this is um, of this bit is is around it being you know the best place to put the next rugby league team. Um, you know, where would it be based? If it, if it, you know, Port Moresby, ken's or, or kind of both, um, will that work? Um, Again, the travel factor comes into it. Uh, although the PNG Hunters have is a fairly good case study, I guess, of, of it working. Um, but that's you know every team, every travelling team, and it goes from Queensland rather than also New South Wales and New Zealand further afield. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, uh, I'd certainly like to know a lot more about how it's going to work, and I'm sure you have a lot more insight and and knowledge on, on how it could potentially uh, roll out. And I'm, I'm sure you're probably a bit more in favour of it than, than I am. But for me, it's, uh, yeah, that probably makes me a little bit uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, just before I answer, I forgot to get your um, desirability rating for the Christchurch team. What number do you give that?
1: Yeah, probably eight to nine. Um, you know, obviously a bit of bias being based here, but, um, yeah, the, a despite the the uh, uncertainty around how it would work financially. I think there's, uh, yeah, some major, major pluses in its favour.
0: Yeah, I'm going to give it a 10. It is, I would love to see it. And I can't, yeah, I, my desire can't get stronger to see Christchurch have an NRL team. Um, but coming back to, to Papua New Guinea, I think that the strengths lie in the fact that you've got a country of 7 million people whose national sport is rugby league getting an NRL team. So straight away, it becomes the most supported rugby league team in the NRL. Um, And that's a huge factor for me. Um, I think that then this is, I don't know any numbers around this. I don't think it'd be all that material, but it's possible that you could get a decent TV deal out of Papua New Guinea. I believe there's a couple of pay TV networks that rival each other. I asked Fonzie about this early today um, as we were chatting And he says maybe they'll get $10 million, but he's just throwing a figure out there. It's a largely unknown what kind of TV deal would come out of Papua New Guinea if they had an NRL team. It could be something material. It might not be, but it's something to factor in, I guess. Um, Thirdly, stadium infrastructure is a B- minus for me. It's not... Anywhere near Christchurch. They do have a good stadium. It's probably like a slightly larger KO stadium in Redcliffe and a slightly better equipped Redcliffe stadium. It kind of looks similar to me. Um, So they've got a decent stadium, but I'd love to see that stadium upgraded to 25,000 seater if it's going to be basically their national, almost like a national team for them, a, a source of national pride. The downside is obvious. You know, it's going to be very, very difficult to attract Australian players and New Zealand players to go live in Port Moresby if they are indeed based out of Port Moresby you mentioned that there's sort of um, rumors that they'll base themselves in Cairns I don't like that personally um, Mm. because it feels like you know I'll I'll come take the money and play for you and travel there you know once a fortnight or something like that but there's no connection I really want it to be Port Moresby or Papua New Guinea's team Um, so if they have to waterline build an Olympic village around that stadium for like they do in, in, in many Olympics for security purposes, then, you know, I think the Papua New Guinea government have basically said that we're prepared to pay whatever it takes to make this work. So that might be an option there. Um, Santos, um, very big and heavily invested uh, in Papua New Guinea is a mining magnet. They're sponsoring rights of that stadium. whose real name is the National Football Stadium. It's called Santos Stadium right now. A lot of mining money. So there's no concerns around finances for this bid whatsoever for me because the Australian government has committed to paying minimum $20 million per year across um, a minimum of 10 years for this to work. So there's no risk of this team falling over due to finances and that's one of their key strengths. Um, Junior systems, I know the Australian government has committed $5.5 million, I think, per annum or something like that. Um, to rugby league pathways in Papua New Guinea at the moment. So to make sure that they're actually developing their own referees of a high quality to be able to referee games, Uh, genuine pathways to make sure that there's fields that are mown, uh, mowed and and lines that are sort of all that kind of stuff. So funding, there's a hell of a lot of funding for this. Um, I don't like that it's jumped ahead of that second New Zealand team, Um, but I'd give this in my school an eight for desirability. How about you?
1: Yeah, I'm probably still hovering around a five um, to, until I sort of find out more about how it would work, whether it would be, you know, situated exclusively in Port Moresby or uh, sort of a pizza meal, uh, you know, co-hosted by Keynes. Um Yeah, just uncertainty around to being able to lower. No, it's not just getting players there. You know, the whole family has to relocate to this uh, and I know a lot of people Australian families probably do live in Port Moresby for, for work. At, um and it's of in, in that scheme things it's probably um no different to that. But it, yeah, but it does um yeah, it does it does seem like a there's a, a lot to um a lot to take in and and just how that first squad would look. I mean, if it's if it's mostly made up of Papua New Guinea based players, uh, certainly um have fears for their competitiveness in an a NRL competition. Um, if they can't get, you know, saw the criticism around the Dolphins' um, initial squad because they couldn't get marquee players. Obviously, they're a lot more competitive than everyone thought. And, they, you know, there's a whole bunch of origin and, and international reps in that squad. So, um, yeah, a bit of a concern about how an inaugural uh, PNG-based squad would look. But, um, yeah, as you said, they... It certainly makes a lot of sense financially um and that's it's going to carry a hell of a lot of weight as well as you know the the government backing of two countries um that seems like it's almost
0: a given that that it's going to happen now yeah i I, I think 2026 is too early and that's the year that i'm hearing i think that's way too early especially Mm -hmm. for papua new guinea i think any new team should be 2027 onwards we need to learn from the dolphin squad uh, but particularly Papua New Guinea here, it's going to take a lot more groundwork to get up and running. Um, apart from that, uh, so am I right in saying that you've got Christchurch as your first preference? Uh, Perth as your second preference. Papua New Guinea is your third and Brisbane East is your fourth.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you know, those, the top three there, I'd be more than happy for them to, to come in at, at some point. I'm, I, I'm I think I'm right saying that the the goal is a 2010 competition, with by what 2032. Um uh, Valandi's quoted as saying, so if that was the three teams that were added, um, could certainly get behind all three of those teams, despite varying levels of uh, reservations. But um, yeah, certainly ex- exciting time um, after you know so so many years of um, not a lot of. A lot of talk, but not much action in that sort of area. And since what the uh, the Super League era, we've only the only things we've added are two teams from Southeast Queensland. So it will be exciting to have um, some clubs from a bit further afield join the join the ranks.
0: Yeah, it's uh, no longer a case of being all fart, no poo. Uh, this is actually yeah. happening at eighteen <laughs> team.
1: Beautifully, <laughs> which, romantically put,
0: which seems like a great place to leave it. And as always, everyone listening, we'll see you on the other side.